Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 12th of April 2013. I always suggest at the very beginning, rather than past you all the way through the broadcast, to look into and make good use of the website cuttingthroughthematrix.com. And there's uh, lots and lots of audios there, well over one and a half thousand now I think, audios for download for free, where I go through the system you're born into, uh, that you take for granted as being natural simply because it's there, and I go into the systems that set it up and where they're going with it too. I go through the cultural changes because you change cultures incrementally. Uh, to, to this new world order type scenario where we're all controlled by a super government basically. And, uh, and that's where we're all heading towards today as the, the big gangs. Cause really, when you really look at history too, you understand that big gangs run the world. They always did though. And the gangs become normalized eventually and become royalty. And then they, they bring in governments. There's a new gang, you see. And after two generations or so, they're, they're the real gang and, uh, and they go for more, more power. And then they get in with other gangs, just like divvying up a city with the, with the mobsters used to do. Uh, they did uh, divvy up the world. Now they're bringing the world together, but with their own share in their gang conquests. That's really what it is. And of course, too, the first mobsters you get are always the real hard guys, really tough and so on. But their offspring become, uh, they, they go to the best schools, the top schools. So they, they, then they go into governments, then they go into technology and, and so on and so on. And, uh, and they end up in big corporations, with legal corporations, which is set up. So we're, we're running through the system really of what's next and how we're getting trained to suit the masters, the new masters in the technical age. And it's all here. It's all around us for those who want to see it. So make good use of the website. As I say, remember too, you can get transcripts on that website on every every uh, link I've got there uh, in English. And if you go into Alan Watts Sentient, sentinel.eu, you can get transcripts in other languages. And remember, you bring me to you. I don't bring on advertisers as guests. I don't get paid by advertisers. I could be, and I could pester you all, all the way through, like most do, with bringing on a guest who really going to sell you something. It depends upon you to keep me going. And you can buy the books and discs at cuttingthroughthematrix.com website. And don't forget, from the U.S. to Canada, you can still use personal checks or international postal money orders from the U.S. to Canada. Or you can send cash or use PayPal across the world, Western Union, MoneyGram, and PayPal. And straight donations are awfully seriously welcome as we go through our quantitative easing or inflation, as it's generally called, as we get taught to go into austerity. But you've got to understand, as I say, that uh, we're taught in all ages, we're taught by whatever dominant minority runs the show uh, about our society. We're given, we're taught to respect flags and, and symbols, symbols of the countries. And, uh, and they use these same symbols and flags to send you off to war, which generally is for the big elite that already owns you to get more and more prosperous because they own all the armaments industries in, in all ages. And they own, of course, the, the banking systems that also fund the wars. And then they use the public as a tax base to pay for it all while they enrich themselves at the top by plundering 
in today's world, oil fields and things like that. It's very, very simple and straightforward. And even the top think tanks, that's how they view these things too, because they're quite candid about how the world's run, how it's always been run, and how the populations in the world have always been run as well. So now we've got the consolidation, as I say, into the global society and the big, big boys at the top are really just uh, arguing out amongst themselves who gets a share of what. That's really what's going on. And they've got lots of, again, legitimate, well-known organizations all working for them to, to battle all of this out above our heads because we've got nothing to do with it. As George Orwell said, the proles don't count. And even a lot of those who think they're battling it, uh, they think they should look at their leaders and find out who these NGO leaders are and who's funding them, because you often find they're all part of it too. Sad but true, isn't it? Back with more after this break. Hi folks, we're back, cutting through the matrix, talking about the system and where it's going and, and where we are now. And as I say, we have these big international meetings going all, going on all the time and with big think tanks, again, that are privately owned, uh, representing governments now, you see. And they're really representing the, the established elite in each government or country. And uh, they're battling it out over territory and over who gets what, just like the old gang lords used to do in the 1920s in, in, in Chicago. So that's what's happening to the world as we get trained to go into the next step. And as I say, too, that many of the gangsters of previous days end up being the top elite families of the following generation. And uh, and they're into other things, of course, to go through the best schools. They get lots of media attention, uh, praising them and flattering them and all that kind of stuff. And it's PR, basically, to, 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 to again, keep that impression that they're somehow all legitimate now and nice and good, you know. We look at the Rockefellers and how they started. It wasn't just uh, being nice to your neighbouring oil field that they took over other guys' oil fields. It wasn't like that at all, not in the least. I mean, they're blowing folks. There was a big oil wars going on, and they blew up each other's uh, um, oil wells and stuff and killed folk off. That's how you get to be rich like that. And then two of the Bronfmans, when they had uh, Prohibition, basically ran most of the booze from Canada into the States. And, uh, and, and But look at the next generation. They weren't the gangster types. They were through the best schools. Now you get the Rockefeller, uh, the the um, uh, the into big uh, foundations, I should say. Uh, not the Rockefeller bunch. It's a different bunch altogether. But they all start off much the same way. And that's how history is. It's the same when kings would get established after, say, the Norman Conquest and set up these foreigners over the people that were going to rule. And But down the roads, they, they become top because they've trained the public to worship them. And people do worship power, and people do worship celebrities, obviously. Look at today's society, it's never been worse, in fact, for that kind of thing. And once again, they're bringing in the high-tech age to rule out the planet better. Because the public will always be the source of revenue and income for the big business, because we all all fund big business, where tax money, they get, you know, corporate welfare. And we fund massive projects across the world now from our tax money. Uh, we're not asked about any of it, of course. And just like the gangsters of old, they, they threaten you if you don't pay up, uh, if you don't pay up your share of extortion money. Uh, and uh, and they use force if you will definitely not do it. So that's nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. You, you've been trained to see everything as legitimate. That's the difference. 
That's the only difference. So now we're going into the big, big system. And they couldn't bring in the global society with the controlled populations across the world without the computer. It's all to do with computerization. That's why they, they made sure that everyone would get a computer, basically, and start bringing out the, the different front men. It would give you uh, apps and so on. They would, they would bring you in and put up all your data. You'd put it up willingly. And, of course, the Pentagon's already said that they grab it every day and they put it into a virtual you and play games on the virtual you, pretty much like the real you. They're pretty certain you'll behave the same way under the same circumstances in reality if it, so, if it happens to you. So we help them on their way towards this big nightmare of, uh, of the, the totally controlled society, the guaranteed stock, basically, the, the, the cattle market. That's all of us. They're going to keep them alive at the top forever very, very well. Because they depend upon us, even for the legitimate businesses, to buy all the junk they sell us at high prices to keep them living very, very, very wealthy at the top and in good standards of living. And they depend upon us, as I say, to pay their big, big building projects across the world. They're obviously big building projects. And, uh, and also to fund their corporations and their banks when their banks have, have run afoul of each other because they sometimes have interbank little wars going on because it's all gangsterism at the top anyway. So we always bail them out and so on. And, and so we're going into the digital age. Now, into the smart homes too, uh, all ties in with Agenda 21, etc., etc. And uh, from the United Nations, which again is just a front organization for the biggest gangs. That's, that's how the Royal Institute of International Affairs set it up. And they still run it at the top. Under a guise, it's for the people. And the people always swallow this stuff. But it says here, the smart homes, the next digital privacy nightmare. It says, the hyper-connected smartphone of the future promises to change the way we live. More efficient energy usage, energy-connected appliances that communicate with one another, and cloud-enhanced home security are just some of the conveniences we'll enjoy. This is going to be amazing. It will also open up major questions about privacy. We're already catching a glimpse of our futuristic living quarters with products like the the Nest, the Wi-Fi connected smart thermostat with an Apple-esque sleekness. Each year, the Consumer Electronics Show introduces us to a handful of new connected appliances and household items, each one bringing us closer to the so-called Internet of Things we keep hearing about. Everyone from giant internet service providers to scrappy startups are getting in on the smart home game. Building products will make our homes more efficient, supposedly, secure and livable. Before long, Jetson-style robots will be feeding our pets. That will be the day. This is, um, if you think digital privacy is a contentious issue uh, right now, then just wait. This is government requests from, for personal data on the rise. Consider this in the last few years, internet and service providers and mobile carriers have seen a huge spike in government requests for data about customers. AT&T alone received, receives 700 such requests per day, according to the New York Times. And they are not alone. Carriers and ISPs collectively receive thousands of requests for customers' data per day from local law enforcement, federal agencies and courts. In many cases, they're willing they willingly handed it over, and very few they're actually telling us about it. This uptick in government data request corresponds with the rapid rise of smartphones and other connected gadgets amongst the general population. Naturally, as these devices proliferate, they're inevitably being used by some consumers to do bad things. But as we've seen, the technology hasn't evolved more quickly than the society's rules about privacy, such as those enshrined in the Fourth Amendment in the U.S., 
And it says, and it says, why does it matter what companies like Verizon and Comcast do with their customers' information? It says, because those very same firms are now selling smart home products that will allow them to collect more data about our lives than ever before. The information that's available in smart homes can be really extraordinarily detailed, says Rebecca Jesk. This is Media Relations Director at Electronics Frontier Foundation. Analyzing a household's power usage alone can reveal details about a family's schedule and habits and may even one day hint at what different appliances might be used and what for. The technology is such that it won't be too long before you can look at someone's power usage to be able to know when they opened the fridge or how much food was in it. And that's without a wired fridge, that's just the power. It says, every time you connect another uh, one of our household appliances to the internet, we're going to be generating another set of data about our lives and storing it in some company's servers. The data can be incredibly useful to us, but it creates yet another digital tale of personal traits that could become vulnerable to court subpoenas, law enforcement requests, with or without warrants or hackers. And it says, okay, so may, maybe you don't care if someone else knows what your Wi-Fi connected refrigerator does. But what about your bedroom? Comcast is one of the many companies making a move towards the connected home. The cable giant offers a product called Xfinity Home that offers the latest in home automation technology, smart energy management, remote control, door locks, and in-home video surveillance. All of these features are more uh, and more are conveniently accessible from smartphones, tablets, and web-based portals. Having remote mobile access to the homes in this way presents enormous advantages, but it raises a red flag when it comes to privacy. And a research fellow at the University of Oxford, uh, he's a guy who wrote this paper examining the privacy implications of smart home technology. He says, in reality, our smart devices hold more information than our brains, said Arabo. This makes them a good target for, for hackers, malware, and unauthorized users. They can actually tell by even bouncing signals back and forth between the different uh, appliances, by the way. Uh, they can get a actual visual image of your rooms and everything and where you are at that time and who else is there. Very accurate ones. But it says here, in-home video surveillance, it says, the video monitoring feature alone raises serious questions about privacy hackers aside. The videos are living in Comcast servers. If the police suspect me of being a drug lord and they ask Comcast for access for a live video feed to my house, will they comply? Would the police need a warrant? As is so often the case with digital privacy issues, there's no clear legal precedent to draw from. Courts and legislative bodies tend to move considerably more slowly than the pace of technological innovation, so we end up with awkward grey areas like this. Actually, they won't even hesitate to use it. They'll use it regardless. Comcast did not respond to multiple requests for information about Xfinity Homes' privacy protections. In general, the company's privacy policy acknowledges that it is possible that we may be required to provide information about you to a court or law enforcement agency, uh, only if we are legally required to do so. And it says, historically, Comcast is known to be transparent about such requests. In the EFF's Who Has Your Back? There's a link to it. Digital Privacy Scorecard. Comcast earned only one of four stars. While the company has been known to stand up for user privacy in the courts, it lost points for not being transparent about government data requests. And it's not just Xfinity Home that offers this type of smart home service. Verizon has its own offering and its privacy records is even worse, according to the EFF's most recent report. AT&T, another telco with less than stellar privacy record, is also getting into the home automation business. So for those who are really wanting to get into the, the latest stuff, uh, it's up to you. I mean, you can't help idiots. 
I mean, you cannot help idiots. Idiots will do what they want to do and, uh, and, and undertake the consequences as well. The problem is that their children get trained in that system too, and they think it's all quite natural when they grow up and they go, they go to the next step until privacy is gone. Remember, privacy, people fought for, for, for many, many times, over many times, maybe many thousands of years for privacy. Because in totalitarian governments, you get, you get no privacy, you understand. And this is the worst kind of, 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 uh, of system that's ever been designed. Because at least in totalitarian governments, you could always whisper to someone, uh, maybe in a back room or something, uh, about just your personal thoughts and feelings on something. Today, they're trying to take that away from you altogether. And I'm not kidding you, you will be monitored by mental health experts too. And that's going to be the big one for pulling you in for, well, reconditioning. A few tweaks. Back with more after this. Hi folks, I'm back cutting through the matrix. Just when the trains went by me too, you might hear it there. But anyway, another thing to, to worry, worry about too, or just be careful about, is the and we can see the effects of it all around us. They're not stupid up top where they watch us all like guinea pigs. You can see the, the, the feminization of males, and BPA was a big thing. There's so many articles out and about it over the years, and videos and documentaries about it too. And The Vanishing Male was one of them that was done by, I think, CBC, and many other ones. But uh, they said they were going to take it away out of all the plastic bottles and stuff that your pops and that kind of stuff. And many, many other things is in two and the cosmetics because your mum absorbs it through her skin to the fetal tissue. They absorb it and of course it affects the male especially. And it's never quite the same afterwards when he's in the womb. And they were going to replace it with BPS. And this article mentions it, it says here, suggests that the controversial compound is designed to replace a chemical used in cash register receipts and other consumer products messes with hormones, according to the research published today. The study by University of Texas scientists is the first to link how low concentrations of bisphenol S, the replacement, which is, a bi- is the replacement for bisphenol A, to disrupt, uh, so it's linked to disruption of estrogen spurring concern that might harm human health. Researchers exposed rat cells to levels of BPS that are within the range people are exposed to, and just like BPA, the compound interfered with how cells respond to natural estrogen, which is vital for reproduction and other functions. Now, they've been doing this forever, and they knew what this stuff did back in the late 1890s. And yet they made sure the general public, and they've made trends for the general public to drink bottled water and plastic this and plastic that. That's not a coincidence, folks. It's not a coincidence at all. There's a big, as I said, I mentioned the next morning news by Charles Galton Darwin many times. He was a guy who said, well, we'll have to dumb down the guys and take away their natural aggression, even defenses, by using hormones, altering their hormonal structure. And the same with women. And with women, of course, if they give them too much estrogen and androgen, it goes opposite way. They get too aggressive, and guys actually get awfully passive and effeminate. So when you're reading these articles, remember, this is not accident. They've had so many studies on this that it all proves the same thing over and over and over, and they keep using it. They even put it in baby food, for goodness sake. What do you need to do that for? Anyway, it says, people automatically think that low doses uh, do less than high doses, says Cheryl Watson, a University of Texas biochemistry professor, lead author of the study published in Environmental Health Perspectives. 
It says, but both natural hormones and the natural ones like BPS can have effects at surprisingly low doses. Laura Vanderberg, a postdoctoral fellow at Tufts University who studied BPA, said one limitation of research was that it used rat cells, but she was quick to point out the method is extremely informative about predictions for a whole animal. The study is a great first research step on BPS. My opinion should be sufficient to say this is an estrogen and we don't want it in our bodies, Vanderberg said. And his name would suggest BPS has a similar structure to BPA, which has been used since the 1950s for a variety of purposes, including the manufacture of polycarbonate plastics. As in the past years, BPS has replaced BPA in the printing of thermal paper used for cash register receipts. Even thermal receipts tested in a study published last year contained BPS. Bill van der Brandt, manager at Wisconsin-based Appleton Paper, said company reps don't, couldn't comment on the Watson study because they not fully reviewed it yet, etc., etc. In other words, they'll keep using it until, well, until whenever they want to. And another article, too, is from the Natural Society on BPA and BPS, and I'll put that up tonight as well. All these links I'll put up tonight at CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. It's astonishing what, what governments really do. I can remember in Scotland... When there was a doctor, there was a doctor from, I think, Pakistan that was working in Britain, uh, Scotland at the time, and he was travelling through the countryside past some of the locks there, the lochs, they call them over there, there's like lakes, and he, he saw boats dumping these drums into the water, and he found out that it was, uh, it was, it was radiation, uh, used, used radiation rods and so on. They were encased in a sort of crystal glass, and they were dumping them in the lock in Scotland. And that hit the newspapers. It was all the waste products from the big uh, nuclear industry. And then they found out, too, not only had they been doing that, they'd been drilling holes in the Grampian Mountains and dumping them down these deep shafts as well. Because they don't like Scotland much as a sort of colony. And um, most of the stuff was coming up from England, in fact. It all was. And at the time, that, uh, then they found that there was big trucks with the radiation signs on them getting parked overnight outside to... Uh, little restaurants and so on, and left unattended. And these were the ones bringing them up, all these things up. And then that got in the papers too. And the, the, I think it was Maggie Thatcher at the time, she said that we'll stop all of that. And she did. She took the signs off the trucks so one knew what, they were, what was in them. So you think these are odd things that happen once in a while. But the thing is, it's, after, it's, it's one government after another it happens to. It's been happening for years. Now, nuclear waste barrels remain strewn across the floor of the English Channel, it says. And it says here, um, German journalists have found barrels of radioactive waste in an underwater valley in the English Channel, which were dumped there half a century ago. Politicians in Germany have called for the potentially harmful containers to be removed. 28,500 containers of low-level radioactive waste were dumped into the English Channel by the British and the Belgians between 1950 and 1963. Most of them were sunk in an underwater channel near the island of Alderney, known as Herd's Deep. Several barrels were found by a team of the joint Franco-German public broadcaster, ERTE, an investigative report set to air later in April. As part of the investigation, German public broadcaster, SWR, sent an unmanned remote-controlled sub into the channel's depths and discovered two barrels just 124 metres deep, a few kilometres from the French coast. Experts had assumed that the sea had rusted open the barrels. This is what they'd all hoped for, you see. 
and the contents had dissipated throughout the ocean, thus making the hazard innocuous, in other words, weaker. has <laughs> not gone. According to the International Atomic Energy Authority, the containers hold an estimated 17,224 metric tons of low-level radioactive waste. The British barrels are estimated to contain the equivalent of 58 trillion becquerels of radioactivity, while the Belgian barrels are thought to hold 2.4 trillion becquerels. The European Union's limit for, for drinking water is 10 becquerels per litre. We think there are still many more undamaged barrels below, Thomas Rudler, the SWR journalist, told Spiegel Online. He added it was, un- it was likely there were other containers that the expedition hadn't located. So, this is what they do, the big boys at the top, and the big boys that get all the fancy contracts and so on and throw these things up. It's always a taxpayer that ends up having to bear the costs of massive cleanups, isn't it? And speaking of that too, I'll put an article up tonight too. It's about all the con of recycling from places like Britain, and they find out they're dumping it in other countries and burning it. And here you are told to and getting fined if you don't put all the plastics in the plastic bin and the and, and the paper in the in the paper bin and so. And here they are dumping this stuff. They train you like animals, Pavlovian style, and then they're dumping it. Back with more after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, we're back cutting through the matrix. And as we advance in civilization, supposedly, it, it's becoming more uh, inhumane, basically, to be, and although the big boys who own us all say that it's practical. It's practical to kill so many, you see, because they don't need us all. And, and so many of us, too, can take money away from their big, big profits. Because that's all it is all about, big profits. That's why they're bringing in euthanasia for the elderly, too. Easier to give them a cheap cyanide pill than it is to, to, to treat them for some illness, you see even though they paid into that insurance policies and all the rest of it and God knows many taxes. It doesn't matter. Yet that's money that could be used by your betters for their big projects across the planet, for their big corporate plans and so on. And I'm being honest here. That's what it is. It's not facetious. It's real. It's how it is. And we accept more and more as we, as we go through the, even the last 30 years, we accept more and more dehumanization. Constantly accept more and more. We're trained in it, in fact. And now we see more and more elderly getting killed off and across Europe with the colds because of global warming, you see. And um, I always read the articles every every year on how many folk die, you see, in their homes, in their homes, not in the streets, but in their homes in countries like Britain. And it says the number of deaths last month increased by more than 5,000. That's in the increase, 5,000, following the second coldest March on record. Official figures for the first three weeks of March 2013 showed there were 4,206 more deaths from the average for the past five years. With another 1,000 expected during the last week of the month, this pushes the number of extra deaths to over 5,000. Michelle Mitchell's charity director general of, of uh, it's called um, Age UK, it's really worrying that the number of uh, deaths in March this year are, are much higher than the average for the previous five years. 
Cold homes, this is why you need experts, folks. Cold homes are particularly dangerous to the health of older people. Well, yeah, yeah, you freeze to death, isn't it? Yeah. And so so there were 33,500 deaths over the first three weeks of March 2013. Compared with an average of 29,294 over the last five years. What do you think of that? Well, you're probably yawning, eh? Because we're also desensitized to other folks' sufferings now. And that means no one's going to cry for you when it's your turn. <laughs> and it says the deaths come in spite of 635,000 cold weather payments during March, a result of seven days of below freezing temperatures, whereas the last March there were none. Naturally, older people were the hardest hit, but the freezing conditions, on average, 90% of winter deaths affect people over 60. People, that's what they want, you see. Once you hit their retirement age, they want you to die, rather than you actually claim your pension. Because the government can use that, say, for their big building projects and stuff. Or periods. People living in the coldest homes are three times as likely to die from the cold, illnesses and so on, compared to those in warmer homes. So, this is quite acceptable now. This kind of death. They have fuel poverty too, because they have to get sort of rations and, and chitties to get their, to get their fuel in so they can heat themselves. And this is acceptable today. Acceptable. Well, we're going down the tubes as, as planned. It's all planned that way, folks. I don't think you can shock people with anything anymore, to be honest. They're so well trained. They're just bored. They're bored with this kind of stuff. It's not sexy, you know. Also, too, the article came out in foreign policy that's uh, it's called an inconvenient truth. This is finally proof that the U.S. has lied in the drone wars. It turns out the Obama administration has not been honest about who the CIA has been targeting with drones in Pakistan. This is Jonathan Landy, national security reporter at McClatch's newspapers, has provided the first analysis of drone strike victims that's based upon internal top-secret U.S. intelligent reports. It's the most important uh, reporting on the U.S. drone strikes to date because Landy, using U.S. government assessments, plainly demonstrates that the claim repeatedly made by President Obama and his senior aides that targeted killings are limited only to officials, members and affiliates of al-Qaeda who pose an imminent threat to attack on the U.S. homeland is false. They're they're killing everybody else off. In fact, they put them down under all kinds of weird categories and even unidentified. I mean, it's just a big joke. It's a killing spree. You know, and of course I've trained a generation to to walk around in these jobs where they can they can sit at a, a comfy desk back in their home homeland and uh, slaughter these folk abroad. It's another game to them too. Desensitized, mind you, they'll do it at home too when they're told to. And that will come in the future. You know it will. It's designed that way. An Australian medical association calls for mandatory proof of vaccinations. They're really stepping up the whole vaccination authoritarianism. Because remember, to all these services like health services were to become authorities. Now they, they're really pushing their muscle, you see, and flexing it in front of everyone. As his parents who fail to vaccinate their children should face barriers to enrolling them in schools and child care centres. The Australian Medical Association says, now all these medical associations are under the supervision of the World Health Organization. That's where all their orders come from. And you can go way back before the United Nations was that. They called it the League of Nations. And in 1919, they also had that, that in their charter. They were going to vaccinate mandatorily everybody on the planet for everything. They never changed their plans, folks. Never, ever. And, of course, the vaccinations kill a lot off because you've got the wrong genes, you see. Oh, it's meant for the general genes, not, not the wrong genes, as they call it. 
and um, and they get off with it now too. And doesn't matter how many they kill off, they always come, come back with great propaganda campaigns. How wonderful it is! And uh, and of course, all these guys involved are making lots and lots of cash. Plus, all the doctors who speak up for the vaccination and get are on the take because they paid big money by big pharma that makes the the vaccines for the industries. Everything's a gang and a mafia of one kind or another out there. Everything really is. And the more cash they have, the more muscle they have, and the more propaganda they can put out, the more they can command governments to do. And it all works together. That's the world we're living in today. And it gets worse and worse, actually, as you go into utter atheism, unfortunately. It doesn't matter what religion you, you were brought up in or, or what your cultural religion the countries were. As you go into more atheism, you're, and you're also getting taught uh, moral relativity in the schools, then it's easier for folk to grow up uh, and just oh, join the mafia gang lie to the public, and make big profits, quite simple. Make big money for yourself, self-interest. Quite something. Now, most folk don't even know how the European Union, uh, even though it started, as I've said before, that Karl Marx mentioned it in the 1800s, that eventually the world will be split up into three massive trading blocks, and each one will be under a, a, a type of government all subservient to a world government. And you have Europe to start it off, of course, and then um, the Americas and then the Pacific Rim group as well. But if, and if you look into the Schumann Declaration, the Schumann Declaration, it says, of May 1950, was a governmental proposal by then French Foreign Minister Robert Schumann to create a new form of organization of states in Europe called a supranational community. So actually, it was one of the organizations they formed to try to push this whole thing through. Following the experience of two world wars, France concluded that certain values such as justice could not be defined by the state apparatus alone. Involved far more than a technical community to replace the coal and steel industries of France, West Germany and other countries under a common high authority. It led to the reorganization of the post-World War Western Europe by treaty. Proposals led first to the creation of the European Coal and Steel Community, which is called the ECSC. It was also the forerunner of several other European communities and also what is now the European Union. The event is commemorated annually as Europe Day and Schumann himself is considered one of the founding fathers of the European Union that nobody wanted except big business. <laughs> the big gang. So... Getting back to reality, reality is a great topic because most folk don't have it. And uh, you find it very quickly when you're chatting to them that they don't have it at all because most folk just prattle off like a pressure of speech, you might say. That's what they call it, pressure of speech, when they just yap and can't stop yapping. Unless they're a disc jockey and they're supposed to yap all the time and have no dead air, as they call it on radio. But... um, you find also that reality is, is everything's projections of reality. Big corporations deal with reality, reality making for everyone. And the biggest thing to do, of course, for a long time has been television and of course the media. And you find the same TV uh, groups and all the media groups are all one big block in, in themselves and that they all belong to their all issue of international affairs. They're all members of it in concern and foreign relations across the world. So they give us all our, our reality. Their members write most of the history books, by the way, for the big publishers, for the schools, of all levels, up to unit through university. But everything you're given now is a PR shot on politicians and everything else. It's all staged. And it costs a lot of money to be staged, too. I mean, Buckingham Palace, 
years ago after different scandals broke out, many years ago, formed, got their own TV crew in. They got a permanent TV publicity crew. Permanent. They did all the documentaries on the Queen and so on. Or in the royal families. To make sure they could put on a, a good front to the public. And uh, it appears as though it's all quite natural that someone just visits the Queen. There's nothing more removed from reality than that. You don't just visit the Queen and ask her for a chat. It's all staged. Everything is staged. And they have scripts, of course, and questions to be asked and how the questions will be answered. All done just like any other TV drama series. But even to your, your prime ministers and your presidents are all doing the same thing and have been for, for as long as you can remember. All photo ops and so on. But in Australia, Julia Gillard, for her, you know, persona, for her image makers, is costing taxpayers more than $70,000 to be followed by photographers, it says. Says photographers are shouting Julia Gillard on overseas trips to snap the Prime Minister as she meets her world leaders and attends summits have cost taxpayers more than $70,000. I'll put this article up too, because it's not really worth reading the whole darn thing. In fact, the media now has had a sudden shift, I've noticed, in the last couple of weeks. There's very little real news, and I think it's a new training in the public, that, that real news is altered. There's been an agreement, a global agreement, I'm certain of it. There's so much trivia out there, it's just junk. So much of it. And that's by intention. That doesn't happen by itself. I understand that most uh, news companies now have very little reporters, very few. And they get a lot of handouts from governments and different agencies that are happy to put right into the paper and slap somebody's name on it in their own corporation just to fill space. But we, we find that the same thing's happening, as I say, with, with, um, with stuff like this. So I won't even read it, the darn thing, except just to mention that they go into some about the Queen and Prince Philip and Charles and so on. And how much it costs for trips and for all the photographers just on visits. Just on visits with heads of state. It's amazing. The public pays to get brainwashed. That's what it is. That's what it is. Now, Global Forest Protection Plan, I've mentioned this before, it's presented in detail, depends on carbon credits. Now, the big, big stick now for controlling the world and to really fleece the serfs across the planet, is carbon credits. All energy, all taxes are coming down to the general public for everything you purchase, uh, just for existing. We'll have energy taxes put on top of it, from a lollipop to to clothing, everything. On how much energy or, or carbon was used or created uh, to make that item. And you may pay for it. But it's also going to be detrimental to where you're living too because they're going to tell you where to live and how to live. And they want you all live together in your new community uh, cities, which are generally the overcrowded present cities of the, of the present day. You cram you all in under Agenda 21. This article here I'll put up tonight is from the Globe and Mail, and it mentions, it says that um, the project called RED, I've mentioned this before, we'll go into the archive section at cuttingthroughthematrix.com, RED, R-E-D-D plus, is reducing emissions from deforestation, forest deregulation, or degradation in developing countries. It's a clunky name that comes with the promise of billions of dollars in funding and the hope that it can reduce both deforestation and climate change. Under the proposal, developed countries, this is, now this is you, all the first world countries, developed countries, the ones we've been in depression for years, financial depression, we're getting fleeced. 
we're already redistributing the wealth, like our marks, across the planet. As we go down the tubes and, and they're freezing to death in Britain, in their homes, right? And the proposal to develop countries will pay communities in developing countries to keep their forests standing. So you pay them not to cut their forests. And the bill could amount to 28 billion US a year. Red Plus is expected to become a key part of a post-Kyoto Protocol Global Climate Change Agreement. In anticipation, 17 donor countries have already spent more than $4 billion helping 50 poor countries build systems to monitor forests. What do you mean systems to monitor forests? Canada has given $71.5 million to support red plus readiness projects. If you have children, make sure they go into these big NGOs, folks. There's no point working anywhere else for a living. There's no points. And tell them how to go out and, and make things. Make things and sell them. The folk need and stuff. Get them into these NGO, Mammy Pamsy sort of jobs. Where they can float around the world and, and fill in little reports once in a blue moon. And have a great time and get lots of money paid by the taxpayer folks. That's what to do. Because there's nothing left. There's nothing left for them. There's been another slave. The pays for everything otherwise. But it says local communities and private sectors have also big plans. The, the Kariba Red Plus project launched July 2011 in Zimbabwe is a community-based forest conservation project managed by South Pole Carbon, a private company that specializes in emissions reduction projects. So the private company dealing in the next corn, you see, making lots of cash. So I'll put this article up tonight too for those who want to really, you know, churn their stomach reading it because it's really gets you, this, this gets you upset, this kind of nonsense, this rubbish, this rubbish under this new religion of created of, 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 uh, of environmentalism and greening and all that rubbish. It's the biggest con they've had for a long time. It really is. And global warming to boot. But I'll put up tonight for those who want to know that we're all paying for all this nonsense paying folk not to cut their trees in other countries. What a joke. Now, Helmut Kohl says, I acted like a dictator to bring in the euro cash, the money. Helmut Kohl is Germany's former chancellor, and he said, made they act like a dictator to bring in the currency. Otherwise, he would have lost had he held a referendum, he says. In an interview conducted for the journalist's PhD thesis, Germany's longest-serving post-war chancellor said he would have lost any popular vote on the euro by an overwhelming majority. This is how things are really done. This ram through, isn't, this, isn't that the truth? With big things that are part of the big establishment at the top, the real, the real elite around the world, and put people into politics. They run the guys below them. They just ram them through on you, whether like it or not. It's like joining Europe together, basically. And all the rest of this, the cons are pulled, or the Americas. Back with more after this. Hi, folks. I can remember talking about uh, Julian Huxley a few times, who was head of UNESCO, and talking about knocking man off his pedestal. He said, we have to dethrone him, knock him off his pedestal, teach the public they're not worth much at all. In other words, uh, stop all the sanctity of human life and so on, because they want to go off on a massive abortion spree, which they've been doing ever since. And he, of course, was up there with Planned Parenthood. 
and he thought it was fantastic, the slaughter, slaughter across the planet. Didn't like ordinary folk too much. But he said, it's to devalue human life, in other words. But, but, but human life, and death even has value. You understand the peasant has got value even when he dies. I also read last year about an article where they were using uh, ashes from cremations uh, and mixed them with that tar stuff that they fill potholes in and the road, they'd like stuff. They mix it in with that. And so you've got use, you know, once you're dead too. And of course you're profitable. You're always turning a profit for somebody. How metal, this is, from cremated bodies is being sold off and recycled into road signs and aircraft engines. And it says, there's only one company, which is a Dutch company, Ortho Metals, behind the recycling. says half Britain's 260 crematoriums have signed up to the scheme. And all this metal too, remember, you've got different kinds, like titanium and things like that. You can't have ordinary just to steal parts. They rust like crazy inside the body. So they have all these special ones that don't get rejected by the body. And it says that metal part, body parts from the dead are being recycled into road signs, car parts, and aircraft engines. Steel hips, plates, and screws used in legs and skulls are collected after cremation and sold on with money raised going to charity. So this, the cheap stuff goes to charity. And even charities, I've told you, look into them carefully. There's always a profit. Big, oh, $750,000 one guy got for some big musical event for charity. Not bad at the top. Eh? That was his personal pay. It says, even metal plates from false teeth and old fillings are recovered and reused together with metal fillings on coffin or fittings on coffins. High-value metals that survive the 1,000-degree furnace, that's the titaniums and so on, are sold for use in the automobile and aeronautical industries. It says, um, these include cobalt, titanium, which are found in some implants and dental work with the former used in the aircraft. Other less valuable metals are smelted down, sold for more general use, including road signs, motorway barriers, and lampposts. Money made us donate to charity, and almost £1 million has been raised for good causes since the project began in Britain in 2004. And it gives you the, the PR, this is just PR on the, the charity part of it. It doesn't tell you how much they make on it, of course. But it says, before cremation, records are asked if they want to keep metal parts for loved ones. Now, I can tell you, I've read articles over the years on the air here, where they'd even take corneas out of people there. Uh, even even some of the morticians were on the act, too. I mean, you're worth money. You know, you paid your whole life for taxes to keep elites living, and now you're paying again for, for uh, professions to make more cash for themselves, too. It says the vast majority say they have no need for them and a sign of consent is agreed for the recycling. Well, I tell you, I bet there's a lot of cons in that too, and a lot of forged signatures. When the cremation is over, the ashes and other remaining items go into compartment in the cremator and then in a special cremator machine which separates any metal from remaining pieces of bone. Isn't it wonderful? The metal is loaded onto large bins and taken away. It says, are the crematoriums not signed up to the scheme? Metal body parts are buried in the grounds. Oh, sure. Uh, but new legislation means this will no longer be possible. So, in other words, the poop legislation through government so they can get more and more of all this metal parts. You know, for charity, you understand. From aircraft engines. <laughs> Things like that. Yep. From Hamish, myself, from Ontario, Canada, it's good night, and your God or your God's go with you.